The holidays are a great time to spend with family. But what happens when one of your loved ones is just too much to handle? Perhaps they jump on the dining room table. Or even worse, pee on your couch. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up on this morning's show, advice on how to rein in out-of-control canines and soothe stressed-out cats. Also today, unwanted hamsters find a safe haven in Upper Manhattan. If you Google New York and hamster, my website is the first one that comes up. Glad you're with us for Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. What do you do when your dog takes you for a walk? Or when your pooch knocks over your mother-in-law every time she comes over for a visit? Well, a lot of people are calling in Tyrell Frith for help. The canine trainer has become known as the Dog Whisperer of Brooklyn. We asked him to meet us at the home of WFUV music host and producer Alisa Ali, who has a very lovable but sometimes problematic lab pit bull mix. My basic problem with Sparky is that when I get him outside, he just pulls like crazy. We'll be walking and he'll be on the right side and then all of a sudden he'll just run to the left side and and so much that like the leash will go in front of my feet and I'll almost fall down and it happens all the time and then I just it's it's kind of embarrassing because I'm tripping all over the place you know so how old is Sparky he's about 12 years old but he yeah. acts like a baby how long now you have Sparky I've had him for about 11 years the other problem with my dog is that sometimes he's aggressive with other dogs and that may have to do because he's not Fixed. Is it males or females he's aggressive with or no? I think it's males. Any special breed of dog or no? He seems to, I think pit bulls usually seem to really set him off. Okay, dogs that look dominant. Yeah. Okay, any special reason why you didn't fix him? Because that could be part of the problem too. Yeah. Strong cetacean. Yeah. But he's 11 now. Uh, yeah. Let's see what will happen and then we would, you know, let's see the dog. Let's meet the dog. What's his name? Sparky. Sparky, uh-huh. Yeah. But like I Sparky. said, um, we took him to the park this past weekend, mm. and um, I think he hurt his leg, so he's not acting as normal as he sh- he's okay. normally is. Okay. So his hind leg is a little... Okay. So he's limping you a little bit. You want to bring him out, or you want us to meet him inside? Let's you go can. in. Okay, good. Yeah. Let's meet Sparky. I always wanted to be a dog trainer. All the time, some people think that when I still live in the islands, the Trinidad Tobago to be exact, that this kid is crazy. He's nuts. Come on, living in the country, and you want to be a dog trainer as a profession. It wasn't about money. I just love it from the bottom of my heart. You've been referred to as the dog whisperer of Prospect Park. Do you whisper? Do you talk to these dogs? I've been doing it all my life, and I've learned to read their body language. That's so important. You ever walking down the street, and you could just look at somebody, and you can tell by the body language something wrong? You see that happen all the time? It's the same thing with the dog. Although you love the dog, you need to take charge. You need to take control. Because remember this about animals. They like to see a leader. They love a leader. You see them in, in the wild all the time and with no leader. They're very disorganized. They like leadership. They enjoy it. They feel more comfortable to show leadership. What is leadership? Is leadership beating up the dog? No, I didn't say beating up the dog, but drawing the line, making the dog understand what is allowed and what is not allowed. 
And sometimes we leave the dog to do what the dog wants to do. And as soon as we start to have problems, we start to criticize. But we shouldn't be criticizing the dog. We should be criticizing ourselves. What's your method for training dogs? I believe that uh, each human being is a different individual. And animals are the same. They're all different in their own way, just like people. And, and that's why I use many different methods. What do I mean by that? I use method to suit the dog disposition. Some dogs are highly inducive for food. Some dogs use treats and you can get them to do almost everything. Some dogs are not too interested in food. They like the ball. That induced them. So whatever motivates the dog. But this is where training becomes a little controversial. I believe in a three-phase training which is the learning phase, which is using food to induce, because you want the dog to be as comfortable as possible. Because if uh, I am a teacher and you're in my class and I am not relaxing you as a student, it's harder for you to comprehend. It's harder for you to learn because you're very uncomfortable with me. So I have to make you feel as comfortable as possible so you could learn faster. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, yes. Right, and animals are the same. However... Different stroke for different folks. It all depends on the problem. If I have a dog like on death row with a very big aggression problem, I can use treats for all dogs. You will use treats for someone to work. And sometimes you have to use correction. Now, when some people hear correction, oh, my God, it's a correction. Correction isn't abuse. Let me point out, first of all, you're hearing a dog in the background right now. We are in the Brooklyn home of WFUV music host and producer Elisa Ali, and this is her dog Sparky making all of this ruckus in the background playing with the toy. And we're going to get into Sparky's issues in just a moment. So once you make that evaluation, then what do you do? Right. After we make the evaluation, we know what method that we're going to use to suit this particular dog. I already have some ideas from after I ask her a couple of questions, and I can tell you right now, uh, this dog is 11 years old, and I must compliment you for adopting a beautiful dog, excellent disposition. There were no aggression when we come inside. He was all friendly running up. To, he didn't jump on us. I didn't know if that's the dog because he's 11 years old or if you taught him that. Excellent dog, but he was happy. But we have an aggression problem with dogs. Now... Is it genetics? Is it environment? Now, this dog isn't uh, noodled. Cetastron could be strong, so that could be part of your problem. And the reason why I feel is because he isn't noodled is because he's not uh, aggressive with 100% of the dog. And that might sound very controversial because some people might say, this guy is crazy. Then if... It's because he isn't noodled that he should be aggressive with all dogs, not, not, not necessary. With his disposition, I can tell that it's because of the cetasteron. So what should I do? Should I fix him or not? At 11 years old, I don't think you need to because not with all dogs. But still not because some dogs might be still aggressive, you wouldn't fix him because 90% of the dogs wouldn't be. So you see my point, I just had to drop that in to bring another scenario because some people might say, well, hey, I did that and my dog is still aggressive, yes. Some dogs, but 90% of the dogs, for example, they're fine. Is there something to be said about, like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? I don't believe in that. That's just nonsense. I don't believe in that. Excuse my language. That isn't true. You could teach old dogs new tricks, definitely. Let me ask you this. Can you train any dog, or are some dogs just beyond training? If the dog have a genetical problem, then it's, very, it's harder for me. I, I, I might be able to make it livable, but I might be able to solve the problem because it's genetics. But if it's environment, 95% of the dogs could be trained because this is an environment problem. As long as the dog is bred and have a good, you know. Oh, oh.
Drive. It's prayer drive and play. He wants to play and he's bored because we're having a discussion here now and he's not involved. So he's getting involved, taking his turn, throwing in my lap and saying, throw it for me. That's the way he's communicating with me. He's a nice dog, I must say. What would you say, Tyrell, is the biggest mistake that dog owners make? A lot of times we see little behavior developing and we see it as it look cute. Any type of behavior and it look cute. And animals, as I say, creatures of habit, and the dog get accustomed doing it, and it turned out to be so bad, and then we started to get upset. Remember I said that before? And then we don't realize by simple little things we let them get away with that isn't right, that we know isn't right, but it look cute. Don't let the dog do it because it look cute. It will come back to hunt you. So I think we should take him out now, okay. and I'll make some recommendations. See? Jumping okay. up and gets so so let's work. Let's work in this about two three minutes before you leave. All right. Okay. This is interesting, you know. He's eleven years old and he has been doing it for a while. Yeah. I'll show you some simple. As soon as I touch the leash, yeah. he starts freaking out. Look at him. He's freaking okay. out. Okay. So we would. Uh... He's stepping on your foot. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. So let's. Uh... He must calm down before we move. But he's been doing this for eleven years now. So not until he's calmed down, we're gonna move. You know? So what you do in a case like that, uh -huh. hold this in your hands and I'll show you. Because it's going to take too long for this dog. So don't clip the leash on the dog because he's expecting you to do that. So what you do is like that and you do like that. Wow. Okay. What did you do exactly? Instead of putting the leash on the dog, you just put it like this, like a hook, and you leave it like that. Then you clip it on him now. You see, he's distressing now. You tap him and tell him he's a good boy. Wow. It's okay. Not hard, easy. Stroke him. Tell good him it's boy. okay. Good boy. That's it's enough. okay. Not That's enough. Stop. Oh, okay. You should do that every day to calm him down. He's 11 years old, but you need to calm him down because it's that's stressful. It's too much. He's too loaded. You walk him outside like this, and then you clip him on the leash. Oh, okay. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Yeah, look, at him look at him. He's saying a word. Not a word. That's a good boy. He's going to go outside now and he's going to... Okay, his foot is sick, so I have to be very careful. He's 11 years old. Let him go. Is he more calm? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I want you to know. I don't really understand what has happened, actually, because it just seems like the fact that you're here is calming him. Yeah, well, what I did by the way in which we introduced the leash, because when he see you pick the leash up, he gets so excited. So that's why what you do is that you put it... Uh, the, the part that your hand's supposed to go in, you put it like a loop. And then when he's kicking up, you tell him, easy, and make him sit. And you bring him out and then clip him on. So he's less excited then because he's not stupid. He associates the leash with going outside and he's an excited dog. That's him. And he's a nice dog and he has a good disposition. But sometimes it's too, it's too hectic because there was no control. You see? There was no balance. Well, let me ask you another difficult question because... Sparky just did his business, and Elisa did the right thing, and she cleaned up after him. How do you train owners to clean up after their dogs? You know what? It comes from the heart. If you really love animals, you will pick up. I keep saying that all the time. You can't want to own a dog and you don't want to pick up the poop. I tell people that all the time. Tyrell, thank you so much for spending the morning with us. You're welcome. I enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing a good job by rescuing a dog. And Elisa, how are you feeling? 
I feel a lot better, and I'm so glad that he said that I would be able to train him even though he hasn't been neutered. And so I, I feel like I've already learned a lot, so thank you so much. Thank you. I'm just a walking my dog, singing my song, strolling Tyrell Frith is known as the Dog Whisperer of Brooklyn. He's online at tyrellfrith.com. That's T-Y-R-I-L-F-R-I-T-H.com. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. From the Dog Whisperer of Brooklyn to Manhattan's feline Freud, Carol Wilborn has been tending to the emotional needs of cats for more than 30 years. She's penned five books on cat psychotherapy, and Carol says she's logged more than 100,000 miles making house calls to patients all around the world. We met with Carol at her Greenwich Village home. I deal with cats' behavioral problems. I've comprise the Wilburn Way through all my different treatments with cats. And the Wilburn Way deals with ways to make your cat feel good, make you feel good, so the two of you are living in harmony. So the idea, though, ultimately is to make the cat happy, not necessarily to change the behavior. Am I right? Exactly. To make the cat happy so his behavior isn't deviant so the guardian doesn't become upset and then the cat becomes even more upset. What kinds of issues do you generally deal with when someone calls you for help? The most common issues are not using the litter box, being aggressive with a companion cat or the guardian or with people who visit, being destructive, being anxious when there's a new baby, a new roommate, a new spouse. Or being timid. Let's take that scenario, for example, when Mm -hmm. you bring a new baby home and you have a cat. Your cat can get very upset because all of a sudden there is an invasion. Uh, Not only will the baby cry, the baby will be getting most of the attention. So there are certain things that you can do to make the introduction easier. Such as? One of the things is you can play a cassette of a crying baby or have someone come and visit with a crying baby. Your cat will get used to it. You will get used to it. And maybe while the baby's crying, you can be stroking your cat and telling your cat what a good cat your cat is. Another thing to do is when the baby's there, to start uh, mentioning your cat's name in the conversation. Let's say you're talking to the baby, doing something for the baby. You say, right, Blackie, or whatever your cat's name is, uh, just to keep your cat in the loop because all of a sudden your attention's going to be on this baby and it, it's a little hard be, and it, because it's not like your cat can say, well, I think I'll just go out dancing. I'll go next door. You know, your cat is stuck. And your cat depends on you for entertainment and attention. So the more you can do to keep your cat in the loop, the better it is. I know you think it's very important to talk to your cat, right? 
they don't always understand your words, but a cat is very attracted by your body language and tone of voice. So if your body's soft and relaxed, you're feeling good, your cat feels good. Sometimes people will say, I came home and I was very upset, but I didn't, I didn't say anything to my cat. But your cat could feel that um, you, you were tense uh, and, and you were upset, and, and then he or she would start mirroring your behavior. Because it, you know, it's like the ripple effect. You're upset, then your cat's upset, then somebody else is upset, and it keeps going round and round and round. So it's better to come home and say, oh my goodness, I'm in such a bad mood, but don't worry. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all going to be okay. What about your cat's body language? How do you read that? There are certain things that are easy to read when a cat's ears flatten, when your cat's body ripples. Uh, when the tail swishes, it usually means that your cat is anxious. Whereas if your cat's tail goes round into a plume and he's stretched out, you know your, your cat's feeling good. Let me ask you about the cat's meow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do they communicate with that meow? It can take all different tones. It, it can be sort of a happy talkative meow or it can be a mad, anxious meow, or it can be a throaty meow, or it can be a constant meow. And the best way to translate or interpret it is to take the meow in context. And if your cat is doing something uh, which is annoying, or you're doing something which is annoying, you might say that it's an anxious meow, whereas your cat appears to be happy, you're doing something happy, you could say that your cat is pleased. So when your cat starts to meow, consider what's going on at the moment or what what previously went on. Is a hiss, though, just a hiss? Stay away. You're bothering me. It can be angry, but sometimes it's a frightened hiss. Now, sitting on your lap here is Orion, Uh, right? This is Orion, uh, named after the constellation, because my late cat was Diana Moondust. And as mythology tells us, she had fallen in love with Orion and accidentally killed him. And Zeus made Orion a constellation in the sky. Thus, we have Orion. How much thought should you put into naming your cat? A considerable amount of thought is good because a cat doesn't understand your words. But if you say something that makes you feel good, it's going to make your cat feel good because your body relaxes and and your cat just picks that up. So if you like the name Margaret or you like the name Lucky and you call your cat either one of those names, uh, you'll feel good when you say them and then your cat will feel good. Have you ever had any cases where the cat just didn't like the person that adopted the cat? That can happen. And what I'll usually suggest is that it might be just better to find the, the cat another home and, and, and just to consider that, that they were the rehab. And they rescued the particular cat, but now the cat will move on to a place where the cat will be happier. Today, of course, we have dog whisperers and we have horse whisperers. When you started, though, you were pretty much on an island as a cat therapist, am I right? I I was. Um, We had um, dog trainers, and sometimes they would try to answer the cat questions. And then we got a lot of media, and uh, the media kept calling me the cat shrink. And up until that time, I was started to call myself the feline behaviorist. That didn't work. 
So I figured, oh, therapy, shrink, cat therapy. Ah, cat therapy. Ah, I'm the cat therapist. And now we have dog therapy, pet therapy, bird therapy. Yeah, so that was in the 70s, and it really, really took off. And now we do have um, other people who do cat therapy, which is great, because the more we have, the more cats can be helped. And now behavior is really taught mainstream at veterinary schools, which is wonderful. And way back then, then it didn't. So I feel that I was very instrumental in helping cats, making a difference for them. And I, you know, continue to do that. What would you say is the biggest misconception about cats? That they don't feel, they don't emote. And uh, they just want to be left alone, and it doesn't really matter. And uh, the more you live with a cat, the more you find out that that just isn't true. Carol, thank you so much for your time. Yes, uh, thank you, and have a very happy holiday. Carol Wilborn has been dubbed the Kitty Freud and the founding mother of cat psychology. You can find her online at thecattherapist.com. So far this morning, we've met a guy who helps dogs and a woman who cares for cats. But what about hamsters in need? Well, that's where Jessica Wells of Upper Manhattan comes in. Three years ago, she set up a shelter for abandoned and unwanted hamsters inside her Inwood apartment. She calls it the Hamster House. We recently paid Jessica and her hamsters a visit. Three and a half years ago, I found a hamster running across the street on Broadway up here in Inwood. And I captured the hamster, saved him from the, the traffic. or He saved himself. I put him in a box. Brought him home, put him in the bathtub, and then Googled gerbil, guinea pig, hamster, because I didn't know which one he was. I just knew he was a pet. And I figured out that he was a hamster, and I named him Kaiser Wilhelm. And uh, he was the first resident of what became the New York Hamster House. You do realize that that story sounds pretty unbelievable, that you found a (laughs) hamster on the streets of Upper Manhattan. Yes. Well, it did happen, though. And also since then, I've had numerous emails from people who have either seen hamsters running loose on the street or caught hamsters running loose on the street. Some of them end up here in the hamster house. So it happens. Why do you think someone would want to abandon a hamster? Maybe they bought two, and they thought they were both the same gender, and then they had babies. And then instead of separating the two or any of them, they left them together, and then they had babies again and babies again. And you can do the math, and it can end up easily with people having 60 hamsters in a month or two. Sometimes they call me now. New York City shelters don't take hamsters in. Um, They only take cats and dogs. And so I think people didn't really have any options, and they would just let them go. Yeah, what is that noise? That is poop and scoop, two gerbils, and they are eating a shoebox right now, which I just gave them. First they play in it for a while, and then they shred it until it's just a fine layer of dust on top of the bottom of their cage. Poop and scoop, huh? Yes. I'm up to about my 575th hamster, so all the normal names kind of already got taken, and so I'm kind of up to a uh, name of a character in a book I'm reading or something I look at and say, okay, stapler. There we go. This one's stapler. <laughs> I like that. I can go with that. Sure. Now, you separate your hamsters, right, based on sex? Oh, yeah. No, there's no sex in the hamster house f- for the hamsters. Um They all live by themselves unless it's uh, dwarf hamsters who can live together if they're from the same litter and they're of the same gender or gerbils who can live together if they're of the same gender. And I'm getting – I'm pretty good at 
sexing gerbils, telling them apart. But since it's not the gerbil house, I'm not 100%. So if I find one and I don't know which gender it is, I'll just split them up anyway. I'd rather be safe than sorry. With the hamsters, I'm, I'm really good at, at doing that now, so I'm confident. What do people say to you when they find out that you have a hamster house here? Some people probably don't believe it. Um, some people, I just started a new job, and some people there have actually, they love it, and they've started collecting extra lettuce from salads and extra toilet paper tubes, and they bring them to my desk. Some people are really into it, and then some people think I'm kind of crazy, especially since I was single when the whole thing started, and so, you know, my mom was sort of concerned, this isn't going to help you get a boyfriend, that kind of thing. You'd be the old spinster hamster lady. Exactly. I'm not married, and I am 31, so, uh, you know, 100 years ago, I, I probably would be, but it's n- not really a concern of mine. So where, then, do the hamsters primarily come from? People find out about you online, so I guess they can give up their unwanted hamsters to you, but where else have you found hamsters? I went through a period where I gave out my business card to a whole bunch of vets around the city and also Petco's and PetSmart's. Um, so some of them come referred through those. Some pet stores will take in animals if people, um, let's say, adopt a hamster that happened to be pregnant and then they have the litter. Sometimes the pet stores will take them back, but if they're full, they won't. So I encourage them to have the people call me rather than, you know, do something stupid. I've also gotten calls from other wildlife rescue groups that maybe, let's say, take in Dalmatians, but someone might call them anyway. I'm pretty sure that 311 gives out my home phone number, but, um, yeah, mostly it's referrals. People, if you Google New York and hamster, um, my website is the first one that comes up. So it, it's pretty easy to find me. I would imagine that the cost can soar for you in terms of care for these animals. Yes. <laughs> yes, it can. Um, I mean, it depends on how many animals I have and whether they're babies or not. Because if, if uh, a mom has just had babies and you kind of have to give her a lot of extra protein, which involves me actually buying groceries... I don't really cook, so having food in the house is like sort of a weird thing for me. And, you know, I haven't had any hamsters get sick for a while, but a couple months ago I had nine hamsters were brought to me in a cardboard box by someone who dropped them off through the window of a cab and then sped away. And it was males and females all in one box, um, adults, and most of them had eye problems because they had been fighting so much that their eyes had been scratched out. So that involved a lot of going to the vet. And going to the vet costs about $100 an animal. Is this all out of pocket for you? Do you get donations? I get donations, and it's sort of the same cycle of whether they're sick or not. Sometimes I get um, a really generous $500 donation, and then I might go, the next person who adopts might give me two single-dollar bills. And sometimes people have been really great and have mailed me hamster supplies in the mail as well. But Mostly everyone who adopts will make some kind of donation. I would think that it's also time-consuming. You do have to clean these cages. And because I have many more cages than most people have, I kind of have to be a little bit more proactive about it. Otherwise, my my living room can get stinky. I I was going to say, it doesn't smell in here. (laughs) I was very impressed. I was expecting a stench. No stench. No. Um, I will say when I have 50 or 45 hamsters, you you can tell that I have 50 hamsters. Um, But... You know, there. As long as you, I use really absorbent bedding, and I'm I'm pretty good about cleaning the cages. And it does take time, but I can turn on the TV and watch, you know, three or four episodes of Law and Order on rerun, and just kind of plow through it. Um, they're also nocturnal, which is nice. If they were sleeping all night, I would feel bad about waking them up. But I'm kind of a nocturnal person myself, so I can come in here and clean cages at one in the morning, and 
they're all awake, wide awake, so they don't mind. I guess it's a good thing that you're also nocturnal because I was going to say, how do you get used to the sound <laughs> of the wheel going around and around and around? Yeah, it's not ever the sound of the wheel. It's the sound of like 10 wheels or 30 wheels that's the problem. I don't know. I mean, I think if you live in New York, you're used to a certain amount of background noise anyway. And uh, the only thing I did was move my DVD player into the bedroom because I cannot watch a quiet movie. I could watch Titanic in here, but I can't watch, you know, Anne of Green Gables in here. It's just too na- noisy. Do you screen people who come here to adopt your hamsters? Yes, I do. Part of the screening process is just emailing me to ask about adopting. Again, after about, let's say, 400 adoptions, I'm kind of good now at figuring out if something sounds weird in the email that they send me. There's an adoption form that you have to fill out on the website, and if someone asks for two hamsters, you know, I, I always write back, well, oh, did you know that hamsters are solitary in general, so blah, 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 blah. And sometimes I'll write back and say, oh, I absolutely know. I have two separate cages, you know, blah, 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 responsible. Sometimes people will say, oh, I wanted my children to enjoy the miracle of birth, so I thought we'd get a boy and a girl. And then I write them this whole thing about, you're the reason why I exist. You can't breed hamsters. There's, you know, there's also a contract they have to sign. That whole process sort of weeds out, I think, anyone who's not serious about it. Jessica, thank you so much. And I can say I was pleasantly surprised overall. Again, no stench, and you are perfectly normal. <laughs> Mostly. Thank you so much. Roy was Jessica Wells runs a shelter for abandoned and unwanted hamsters from her upper Manhattan apartment. If you're interested in adopting one of her fuzzy little critters, check out thejessicawells.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer McCall Neria. Have a great weekend. Because we love